Hello and welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast episode 34. 34. 34. Almost middle-aged. Almost, but <laughs> yeah. not quite, Jonathan. No. We are a silver fox. Well, the new issue is still on sale. We have Within Temptation on the cover, so go pick up a copy of that. Also, Behemoth, a free CD of Global Metal, Lamb of God, Nightwish, Clutch, Beartooth, Zelanada, Death, Black Peaks, Meshuggah, Saxon, Venom Prison, Anul Nathrak. You want to stop me? <laughs> no, keep going. <laughs> 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 Anul Nathrak. Oh, you can, it. It. you can do that one. I just done it. All right. <laughs> Continue. There's so much in the issue, guys. Go pick it up, have a look, check it out, tell us what you think. What have you guys been up to? Uh, let's start with Luke first, I think. What have I been doing? I've not been doing anything. Oh, that's very uh, yeah. no, interesting. Because I, 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 I haven't really been to any gigs. I went okay. to Anfield and watched a match there for the first time. But, um, and I was delighted to find they played Johnny Cash before the match. It's oh, football nice. metal. We've not discussed that, have we? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> not really, let's face it. Well, no, not really. You fall, what did you fall do over then? Not unless you're kicking the head. Is it? Oh. <laughs> uh, the, the original early football, that maybe, you know, back in Super the... scrappy. Yeah. So I've done anything. I don't know why you threw to me. I've not done anything with yeah, my well, time. Oh, no, actually, that's a lie. I, I interviewed Tom Morello on Monday. Did you? That was exciting. It was our trip to the Chuckle Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was really good. It was, he's, he's a really, really nice man. And yeah, we just had a nice little chat about... Uh, British punk and the legacy of Killing in the Name and protest music in general and his upcoming Atlas Underground album which is mad yeah hasn't he got loads of weird collaborators like yeah. loads of DJs and there's like things. Steve Aoki's on it Knife Party's on it um, can't really remember uh, Bass Nectar is on it Ice Yeah, cool wow. name. I, yeah, I thought he was not a thing now. <laughs> yeah, but he's now a thing again. Okay. And yeah, it's really, really cool. But you can yeah, that's coming to a Metal Hammer podcast near you soon. Oh, Be there. I was just going to say what was the best bit, but you don't want to give it away, do you? I want to give it away. You have to tune in and listen to my dulcet tones, oh, trying not to quiver at, at Tom Morello. <laughs> but you actually went to a gig, Anna. You did something. I did, yeah. I went to Manchester, which is where I'm from, and I uh, thought I'd go down to see... Agent Fresco and Leprous because they Ooh. weren't actually doing a London date on this tour. No, regional. Uh, regional dates, and they are both incredible bands, prog metal bands, I guess you'd say. Mm. So Agent Fresco came on. Uh, they've had a couple of albums out, and the last one, um, oh, what's the name of it? It's like a word, but not quite a word. <laughs> <laughs> a well, sound. Uh, that narrows it down. Sound. It's like you oh. think it's. <laughs> it begins, it begins with, them, oh. It begins with D. Look it up. It's, like, oh, it's like Decryer, but not quite. I should have looked that up first. But great album. Um, the singer is amazing. He's just got this amazing presence, this incredible voice, um, and really the band is carried on his voice. He's like the main kind of instrument of it. Hmm. It's not that typical kind of sweet toned tech metal voice. So it's it not like, tech metal. It's right. definitely more prog metal. It's okay. so a high booming. pitch. No, it's a high pitch singing voice. Okay. And at first, when I listened to them, I wasn't really into it. To be honest, I thought it was too soft for me and not heavy enough. But it yeah. really grows on you. They've got an amazing knack for writing hooks and melodies, and his voice is just yeah, it's incredible. It goes. It almost goes falsetto at times. It's very very high. And um, at the end of the gig, he got up and got into the crowd, was high-fiving everybody, which Brilliant. is really, really sweet, and um, was just went to the back of the room, climbed up the back of the room where the merch is, kind of like all the way up the wall, and just sang the last bit 
from these kind of railings and just threw his arms out of one bit and just went, Manchester! And everyone was like, yeah! <laughs> That's where I'm from! <laughs> We're in Manchester! That seems to be the way all these like prog, like prog new progressive bands sing now. It's all these kind of high-pitched, well, sort of calming voices. I think it's really difficult to know where to put them. And it's the yeah. same problem with Leprous. Like, Agent Fresco and Leprous are perfect touring buddies because they both have quite high-pitched vocals, very complex instrumentation, mm. um, fantastic accomplished musicians. And so, you know, Leprous came on and they are the bigger band, um, but they probably both bands were as good as each other, really. And again, um, I mean, Leprous, if you don't know, they were Islam's backing band, of course. So like one from, of the best drummers in the, in he's the music. Insane. Bard Kolstad. It's funny you should say that because. He's so young. He is. And he's a, he, like, he's, he originally played with Abbott for a little while. Did he really? I didn't um, know that. He's played with lots of different things, lots of people. He plays uh, for Girls Verd. Uh, so Gold's new black metal band, and but he's obviously he's like completely. Um, he can play with anyone, like completely different styles. He can play metal things. You you've seen uh, there's this footage of him playing breakbeats with a DJ. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And he's I was just, gonna say like go on YouTube. Yeah, he's just recognised as like the best drummer in our world right now, and he's just like ridiculously young. He's like super early twenties. Yeah, he's like 24, 25. But if you get on YouTube, he's got some videos on there, some demos, and he's amazing yeah. it's just amazing i was a bit sad that because the stage was fairly wide in manchester probably the club was like 200 maybe 300 cap where are they playing manchester gorilla i don't know i don't even know when you're it's kind of like uh, cool, the underneath of a bar and grill and it looks a bit like a sort of old warehousey arches type venue okay. and you kind of go in and you sort of feel like you're underground even though technically it's sort of in an arch above the ground Perfect but it, yeah it's quite it's quite wide um, and he was kind of tucked away at the back because I think they have played a couple, like one bigger show in London's Boston Music Room. I think that's kind of the biggest one they've done. And they had a bigger production set for that. But this one, they had quite a lot of room, but he was kind of in the corner. And it's a little bit frustrating because he wanted to see some more of him because mm. he is so fantastic and he just floors you. Um, but the other musicians are great too, like the guitarists and the bassist. They were kind of climbing up different levels. They had a couple of risers that were sort of jumping up and like the emotion that they were bringing out, like these are musicians who are not only really accomplished, but so into it. And um, when you watch them, you just get sucked into it and they just create this whole vibe. Um, and they even covered Massive Attack at the end as well. Everyone was losing what? their Which shit. Which Angel, I think it was. Okay. Everyone was just like losing their shit um, because they kind of started and it was that like low bassy beat and you're kind of like oh that's cool like that's a nod to massive attack and then everyone's like oh they're actually doing it <laughs> they're actually doing the song right now um did they bring the big light show with them because i've only seen leprous twice and all i can think it's not really my theme musically that like, i quite like what they do but all i can remember thinking is just being beaten in the yeah, face yeah. with lights yeah the first five minutes i was like Ah. <laughs> and then I kind of got used to it but I mean I think a lot of bands do that now if you can get a really good lighting I have a really good lighting show um, it doesn't matter so much if you can't bring like loads and loads of production I think yeah. when they came to London Boston Music Room they had sort of TV screens around them and it was a bit more elaborate but you certainly didn't feel like it was really missing anything at Manchester you know if anything it would have been great to see people a bit more but just the chemistry that band have got, like honestly, like just an incredible chemistry. Yes, I guess it's one of those bands you can't play without that kind of chemistry. Mm, yeah, because it's just the intricacies of it. So check out Adrian Fresco and Leprous anyway, both fantastic bands. I don't know who you'd put those bands with on another tour, 
Um, just sticking with my sugar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was thinking, you know, Arc Tangent. That kind yeah, of yeah. Well, I, I saw Leprosat Arc Tangent this year, and yeah, it was amazing. I think Agent Fresco must have played it in the past. It seems yeah. a perfect idea, I think. Yeah. I saw both bands at Complexity Fest, yeah. I think last year or the year before. So yeah, all those techie fests, perfect. I just want to see them again, to be honest. <laughs> if, I, if I could have just done the whole thing over again, I totally would have. So, yeah. What else is going on, Luke? Well, Metallica are coming back, guys. It's happening. <laughs> well, we all kind of knew something would happen. We knew we something just would, didn't happen. Know what would happen. Uh, but yeah, a state, full stadium tour. Well, I say full, depending on where you are in the UK. Uh, and with Ghost and Bocassa supporting, that's a decent day out, isn't it? And it's, it's nice that they're, when I, oh, I was about to say that they're getting actual proper metal bands, but Ghost aren't really proper metal bands. But um, no. But bands with a bit more like an underground aura to them. Yeah, it's not just fully mainstream yeah. chart band that they've gone for or something. Yeah, although, you know, they've had the sword in the past. That was pretty cool. Yeah, they had Attack at the O2 yeah, last Attack. year. So, yeah, I guess it's um, in kind of in keeping with more recent more recent tours. Yeah, not particularly thrashy, which is a shame. But what, yeah. Who would you want to see? That's power thrashy? Trip. Bring Power oh, yeah, Trip with them. that's a really obvious choice, oh, yeah. actually. <laughs> which would be, be amazing. But I, th- I think... But Lars has quite been quite a vocal supporter of Bocassa, hasn't he? I think he's he has, had yeah. them on his radio show or something. Because you see them pop up on Twitter every now and then, like some kind of reference to Lars saying something or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But I think Ghost at Twickenham Stadium is going to be. I can't imagine mad. what that's going to be like. Broad daylight, unfortunately, but it. <laughs> but, that's going to be it'll super be good. So I saw, I saw, I saw them the last time they played Twickenham, and oh, okay. it does actually get better when the sun goes down. Mm. Okay, because I've, so, be, I've never been to Twickenham at all. I haven't all. either, I don't know what it's like as a venue. It's What's just, it, what can it, you compare it with? Wembley, I guess. <laughs> Another <laughs> big yeah, stadium. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a, it's a big, outdoors. it's a huge big oval stadium with a, with a stage at the end. Um, and just tears, yeah, it's it's a stadium. It's a, it's a sports stadium. Um, do you think they'd have the stadium at the end or, or the stage at the end or would they do it like in the round? Uh, yeah, Metallica often have like the whole runway thing and like the stage in the middle and... Do you think that'll suit a stadium a lot? Well, they did, they did that yeah, video yeah, too as well. That, that could work a lot. You're missing, obviously, you're losing a lot of ground floor space yeah, um, that yeah. you would have at a stadium where you might not necessarily have at other venues. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that would be good. Yeah. That would definitely be, be much better than just like things in the distance with video screens. Exactly, if you're sat at the other end of the stadium watching uh, little matchstick men playing yeah. Edith Sandman. Oh, cool. Are they going to bring beach balls? That's what I want to know. I think they always do. <laughs> the black beach balls, I hope. Yeah. yeah. I remember, this is the worldwide tour, though, isn't it? And apparently the production's going to be mad, whatever they're doing. Wait, wait, where do you keep beach balls in an open-air stadium? Well, at Dallas. Oh, you mean they you can't, like, release them? No. Well, at Dallas, they, they have it on top of the they? stage, don't they? And then they all just sort of drop yeah. over the, um, the, the, the big screens either side. I'm hoping some kind of, like, flying craft will come and just drop them. A drone. Just <laughs> drop. <laughs> just drop. Just drop beach balls on the ground. Yeah. Like some kind of military helicopter style thing. It's probably quite dangerous dropping beach balls from that height onto people. Jonathan a, doesn't care, he just wants to see it. It's the risk you've got to it's take. It's about the spectacle. Yeah, so you've got ghosts. Yeah, you've do you remember, the, like, remember the first episode of Metalocalypse with the coffee? You pay your money, you take the risk. <laughs> <laughs> Good reference. Yeah, I am very excited about Metallica. Where else are they doing apart from Twickenham? The Etihad in Manchester yeah. and they're doing Slane Castle in Ireland which I think would be amazing legendary the other thing as well is that Twickenham is so um, connected to Iron Maiden when I said I saw I went to Twickenham to see Iron Maiden right but you know it's such an Iron Maiden venue yeah exactly. there's no, no other no other bands really play there apart from Iron Maiden and it seems like their venue 
So it just it seems like they're kind of like usurping it a little bit, but they're Metallica, so it's okay. Yeah, I was going to say, if any yeah. band can. Yeah. Yeah, they don't strike me as rugby fans, but you, you, know, <laughs> you never know. I'm surprised, yeah. I'm surprised they're not doing Wembley, but, you know, Twic- is Twickenham bigger? I have no oh. idea. Rugby's closer to, like, American football. It's just yeah. a pointy thing they're <laughs> But either way, it will be good, yeah. I think. I'll be there, hopefully. Also, in big gig news, Corey said that Knotfest could become a touring festival. It's very exciting. Very exciting. Very exciting to me. How much would you lose your shit if it came over? If I actually got to go to... Well, it, it, <laughs> How much would you lose your bank balance if it came over? Well, yeah, that's the thing. Because I think cause Knotfest isn't just about, obviously the bands they've got on stage, they build an entire, you know, carnival type deal with loads of yeah. slipknot memorabilia and museums and whatever, you know, a million artifacts for loser super fans like me to find really interesting. And I think if they brought that over as like a one day thing, I'd, I'd be there, you know, instantly. And I, I think it makes complete Actually sense. Actually by teleportation. Yeah, 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 like that. But because Ozfest came over here, didn't it, back in, I never went to yeah. Ozfest. Um, so I don't, and I think that's probably ending. Oz first was Milton Keynes Bowl, wasn't it? Yeah. And obviously, before Warp Tour ended, Warp Tour came to London as well. So mm. various people have brought various American touring franchises, yeah. but with varied results, I think. Well, the yeah. Warp Tour one great. Because I mean, I like. I mean, obviously, you know, they have a particular like fairground aesthetic and everything. But I like the ones where they kind of terraform the entire site, mm. um, which I don't think we do in English festivals enough. Like you go to. Um, we go to like Hellfest and the whole area or, or um, Vakken and the whole area is being kind of terraformed to look like a kind of like you know heavy metal post-apocalyptic city mm. and um, and over here we just kind of do that for the stage we don't really think about the site as a whole and I'd hope that if um, you know it's the harder to do if it's a touring thing that if they could like terraform like you know make it actually the whole thing an experience not just the stage One well, thing that I was interested in I don't think they ever did it at Knotfest was they were going to have that experience where they'd have the sense of Slipknot so you'd have like the smell of a boiler suit and like a the fields crush. in Iowa and stuff yeah but I think yeah they, but they that's just festival smells any, but the thing is like festival smells are bad enough anyway <laughs> yeah it's just, 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 just festival smells I think they cancelled anyway. it or something because it's too hard to do but I was kind of impressed with the level of commitment it wasn't the actual thing itself it was the fact that you know they were trying to use I mean it's, well, clown, it's like, clown isn't it but they're trying to use all five just senses. scratch and sniff people yeah <laughs> <laughs> just layers of grime coming on <laughs> yeah. if you're about terraforming like that's impressive you get the visuals you get the scents, you get the smells, yeah. the sights, the smells. You don't the want the sounds. smells. No. Here's like here's like <laughs> dead crow alley. Yeah. <laughs> so you don't want it to turn up, turn up, or turn out like walk tour where basically is invade a car park for a day and then leave again. It's like you were never there. You yeah. sort of you know you want that festival to take days to set up and actually be a proper event. But yeah, I could see Knotfest becoming yeah, a one day thing over here which would be amazing or part of another festival doing Knotfest day at yeah. download like, yeah that'd be really cool 2005 when there was Ozfest day at download I think when Sabbath played they could do that I'd be there could do that be amazing I do think it would be cool to have something different though I remember when Warped Tour came to Alexander Palace it was exciting because it was Warped Tour but probably the only distinctive thing was the merch hall like everyone was going crazy for the merch hall because you could get all this interesting stuff in there yeah and um, there were two main it, stages weren't there yeah. Next to each other, yeah but it didn't feel like anything particularly crazy no the lineup was pretty you know, weak yeah well. the good festivals are ones where like you feel like you're stepping across the threshold into another world mm. 
And I don't think you really get that in English festivals quite so much. I'd go to Jonathan Fest. Yeah. Seltzer <laughs> yeah. Fest. Yeah, but, yeah, but there'd be no way out. There'd be no exit door. Oh, no. Well. <laughs> so like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, one dot in. Yeah, there'd be no signs to anywhere. Like You'd just Thrones. be like, um... You'd just be, yeah. The moon door. you just have something called the void. And yeah. everyone would just, just drop just, into it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. No, no signpost, nothing. Where you are, just in the middle of, of it all now. Yeah. Oh, it's frightening visions. What else is in the news, Jonathan? Well, CDs. C- oh, I'll just start that again. CDs. CDs. CD sales have plummeted mm-hmm. um, in 2018. They have. The report, apparently, the report by the RIAA, the Recording Industry Association of America, says CD sales are down by 41% this year. Which What's is the mad- context, mm-hmm. though? Is it, has it been made up for in downloads, in streaming, in vinyl? Well, yeah, but, well, vinyl is up by 13% apparently and streaming services now make up 75% of the music industry revenues not apparently surprising. but I, that's not surprising I don't think I, I, I don't I can't remember the last CD I bought at all yeah I mean I can't either and I always have that thing I don't know about you guys but when you're having a clear out at home where you're moving house and you have to get rid of stuff and you think I'm carrying these boxes and boxes of CDs around from place to place with me I never physically use the CDs do I keep them or do I throw them away or donate them to a charity mm. shop? Like, what do I do with them? And I always get that thing where I just feel so emotional about the bands because it's a certain period of time. We're talking sort of, you know, 10 years ago or whatever. It's almost like a time capsule of CDs. And I feel like I can't get rid of them mm. because it's getting rid of my own life. But I never actually put those CDs on. I just go straight to Spotify or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Even my, when I was... my own computer and just that's it. Is it even when I was buying CDs, I'd buy them and rip it to my laptop or whatever and, get, and they go exactly. cool now, now it's on my it's iPod funny, don't need the CD because, because like CDs that, yeah. were supposed to be so much more um, easy to use than vinyl like you don't have to turn them over you're, just, you're supposed to just put them in you skip tracks yeah skip oh, yeah, tracks and everything. Like they're supposed to be so much more easy to use and now I'm just like oh my god I can't even be bothered to do that we don't have to I mean, so why would you that's yeah, the thing I mean, the thing is like, I have occasional culls of my CD collection but you know, there's only so much I can get it down to because like, you know there's so much I've got so many um, so many uh, memories like stored in those particular things. You know some of them are actually nice. You know there's no point in making jewel cases anymore. Mm. But you know but still like you know you still get loads of really nice editions of stuff. You know, with, you know there's lots of things they can do design wise with the fold outs. And yeah every time I just get get rid of CDs I just feel like I've seen in 2001 where it's like. My, my collection where like he's taking all the chips out how he's going I'm scared dude <laughs> <laughs> and um, but I just so I still need like I keep thinking do I need this stuff and it's like yeah I do but even for um, do you listen to them though do you actually put a not, CD on not that often so it's literally an emotional thing like similar to what it yeah, is yeah but it will sound I think but the other thing but you should because you should remember how music should sound and it will sound way better than even like a two, five, six kilobyte. I don't even tell the difference track. between a CD and a... If you can on decent speakers and you know, you just, you just lose, you know, we're all just conditioning ourselves to lose frequencies and um, you know, not every stream is always, is always great quality. Mm. And, um, and it's just, but music isn't just the music, it's just the whole experience of like, you know, when you, when you when I buy records, we buy records and you know, Experience putting the needle on, it connects you to the record. I'd, I'd you know, I'd, I'd, I'd go through the um, inner sleeve and read the lyrics as the, um, as the, uh, you know, as, as I'm playing the record, 
Um, so it's this whole kind of commitment that you don't really get in with um, with just streaming. And it's- I'd argue you don't get that with CDs though, because like see, vinyl, I still buy, or I've started buying in the past like five years, and I yeah, I very much do pay attention to the artwork and the liner notes and everything else that's in there. But with CDs, you were sometimes you were lucky if you even got a lyric sheet with it. It was it was just like so, yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's like, like most of the CDs I got rid of were just jewel cases with like one fold out little sort of thing. yeah, you know, just like you know. Uh, with no actual proper book, but those are the ones I got rid of the most because I'm not, I don't really feel like I'm just losing too much. But um, yeah, some of them would, but even CDs could have, a, you know, bands that, like, you know, that, that could kind of create a world. I keep wanting to say this every time on the podcast, bands that create a world. But like, you know, you can do that to some extent in the CDs, and and I just feel that like um, the CDs that I can't get rid of are the ones that if um, if I got rid of the CDs, well, you, it was the same case if I had them on vinyl. I feel like I'm losing a little bit of the world with that band mm. and I'm losing a little bit of the experience of listening to that band because the band's not just what you listen to on the stream. It, you know, good bands represent something more and they, you know, they have a little, they have a context to them. There are some CDs I'll never get rid of, even if I don't listen to them, just because they, like you say, they were there at a certain time in your life well, that's the or thing, whatever. Like, but then going forward, we haven't got that. You know, if we just listen to a record digitally, we haven't got that kind of like physical link to it so we will never have that having to break that link whereas at the moment I feel like it's breaking a link to something physical if I get rid of something even though I can listen to it whenever I want yeah I don't have an emotional connection to a playlist on Spotify no. <laughs> I'm not very good at my like digital housekeeping either because I've only really started to just follow people on Spotify because I realise I open Spotify I can't remember what I want to listen to because it's not mm. like when you look out at a selection of all your records or your CDs and you see all the bands there, suddenly my mm. mind goes blank and I'm like, I've forgotten all the bands in the world. And so I've started to actually follow stuff on Spotify now and actually try and rip any CDs I have to make sure I've got them stored on a hard drive so I can actually have a library of stuff I can scroll through and band names that I can look at because otherwise there really is no connection. I'm just kind of think like, my mind literally goes blank. Yeah, yeah, there's something about we said for us like, you know, casting gaze over your like collection of CDs and yeah and just rifling through vinyl and yeah. sometimes it's just rifling is for a second a good old rifle yeah right well should we do some reader questions come on man I think this first come one's on. aimed at you Jonathan yeah, more than anyone this else this is definitely a Jonathan one so Aidan Rutter asks do you wish that death metal became the next big thing like Sony wanted it to be in the 90s when they snapped up Morbid Angel and the like uh well no End of question. The thing is, it would only have been temporary okay. anyway, because obviously, you know, history is littered with um, success stories of um, underground bands signed to major labels, and of course, um, they were much better off for it. No, that's not the case, at all, actually. No, no. I mean, it would have. <laughs> nah. I mean, that. I mean, even if the bands had stuck to their guns and not followed any um, any sort of commercial routes, um, I think that you know that have been dropped pretty quickly anyway um, by those bands and the, you know bands were left a bit being left a bit high and dry if there's a whole big number of like death metal bands suddenly being signed up I mean obviously I'd like i like it more if it was at, you know if people if death metal was kind of out there and people a bit more than it is and mm. more people kind of knew about this whole world of like you know sort of your more you know the Florida scene like your Morbid Angel and your Bitcheries and you know, I'm sure there's like loads of people listen, listen to deathcore bands who've never played an obituary record in their lives mm. or mm. even a Morbid Angel record in their lives and um, 
and I, which I think is mad because it's just like if you're into something how could you not be interested in the whole kind of history of it and it will give you more appreciation of what you're listening to but um, but yeah going on a label is a good way like a major label is a good way to break that continuity I think and I just think you know underground bands they you know they're, they're built to breathe at a certain level you know like they have optimum breathing capacity at a certain level that's kind of below the surface mm. take them any further and it's hard you know they get less oxygen in their, in their lungs and the whole scene gets less oxygen in it and um, I don't think there's anything to be gained from you know it, you know a whole big major label splurge on death metal bands because you know just the scene would just be ridden with sort of also rounds and you know average bands and I think it, you know in the underground scene bands the good ones rise to their right level pretty quickly I think well take us back to what it was like um, in the 90s you were there yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what happened when Morbid Angel was signed how did people respond um, I think well I think people saw it to some extent as it was logical next step I don't think people had any um, I don't think people were particularly outraged I mean obviously you know they were on earache there was a whole um, there was a whole culture around earache but you know every band had to kind of move on to an extent so I, I'm not saying that no band should have ever moved on to it because a lot of bands did like Paradise Lost and there's a certain thrill in seeing like Paradise Lost you know, on a, I don't know what, kind of what, they, what major label they were, but seeing, let's say an underground band on like Virgin or MCA, there's a certain thrill about seeing that logo on a death metal record. Mm, subversion. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but all these things just have a dynamic, you know, they, um, you know, they, they start in the underground, they get, they get a certain amount of attention, they get bought up by, by major labels, major labels don't know what to do with them, they make some average records, questionable choices, and they and bands go back and make a killer back to form album. It's just that's just how the scene works. It's just how mm. everything works, you know. So it's all just part of you know how how music works. I think. Um, but um, it'd be weird thinking death metal was the next like the next big thing. When I don't know. I just think these things have a power from being underground and making people look for them a bit more. And uh, of course, I want more people to listen to them and more people to get it. Mm. People can, we just talk about streaming, you know. Yeah. Back in the 90s, no one could have just gone on Spotify or whatever and just listened to all those bands. Whereas someone coming into the genre now can actually go and listen to all the history. So there's. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it is. But do people do that? Um, Don't know. Yeah, yeah. Probably like the most dedicated scene people because I would say death metal isn't elitist as such. But it's certainly one of those scenes where people do talk so much about the progenitors mm. that I think you would go back and listen to those bands. Yeah, yeah. Like we did a piece on death, and yeah, I think you know anyone who comes across them is like, oh my god. But but then you also forget, like actually in the early days, how catchy the early death metal stuff was. You know, it's a lot slower than it was. There's a lot more groove. Yeah, say like, loads of groove. Yeah, victory. Yeah. Like it, it's really catchy, and everyone thinks it's like this kind of exotic or old man's music but um it or it belongs to another culture but just it's really really catchy i think what you said there is really key um i think people thinking that it doesn't belong to them or it's not relevant to them which mm. is sort of a problem really isn't it like how do we make that 
how do we increase that relevance people get people to see that it is relevant in the current issue of Hammer we do have a feature on death yeah exactly <laughs> nice so you know you can read that but, yeah. but what do you think like, how do we make it more relevant? I don't know like, I remember like in the days of um, MySpace Metal and Job for Cowboy oh yeah and I remember like them playing at um, I think it might have been Download and it's just weird it's just like two completely different cultures playing really similar music mm. um, and it, it often would come down to whether you had long hair or short hair, you know, it just there, there was a kind of like a certain musty atmosphere that attached itself to these old records. That get, that's what gives them their power. And whereas, like you know, the more modern stuff is all about kind of slick production. And um, but I just I think kids maybe felt like if they go to a proper old school death metal gig, they'll get looked down upon by old guys in denim. You know, it wasn't really the case. Um, but by the same token, like I think I said this on the podcast before. You know, I went to see Bearmoth and um, and there was a, at Yulu, and they were supported by Suicide Silence, mm. and all the Suicide Silence fans left before Bearmoth came on. Mm. So it's kind of, I think it's lack of curiosity. It's um, on one side, maybe a little bit of elitism on the other side, but um, but but you know the thing. Any any metal gig you go to, the minute you go in there, you, you're welcome, no matter who you are. Yeah, you know. Um, Give Morbid Angel a chance, guys. Yeah, and also, you know, because Morbid Angel particularly, you know, they're really weird. You know, there's something unearthly about them as well. And the first time I heard Morbid Angel, you know, they really think out, like, the trousers of off riffs. And um, they had this kind of, like, God's eye view on everything. So it seemed very distant, like, these God's eyes looking down on, on puny humanity. <laughs> and it took me, you know, so there's nothing you feel for it personally, but you said it gets a sense of scale out of it. And um, yeah, and it, that stuff kind of twists your brain. You've got to be going prepared to have your brain twisted a little bit. And um, yeah, not not have every path laid out for you. That was perfect Jonathan sentence. <laughs> yeah. well, just, just to end the, <laughs> your brain the Jonathan discussion, uh, recommend a track and album would be useful. Well, my, well, my favourite um, album of all time, metal album of all time, is also Madness. And just for lots of different reasons. It's like the first album's got all this wild energy that can't really contain. Um, it's, uh, it's just at the right moment where like thrash was becoming death metal. Um, so it's just, it couldn't have been recorded in any other year than the year it was. Um, and you just feel you're on the verge of something, something new. Um, and you don't, you don't know what it is. And yeah, the, 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 the lead breaks are amazing. And you can hear like lots of like, Voivod in it as well and it's just and just every time I hear it someone wants to burst out of my chest and if you want to listen to I recommend one track just for the pure emotional of it uh, Pull the Plug by Death nice of Leprosy it's just when they had the um, Death for All when they just you know everyone all the old Death members played in tribute to the late Chuck Shaw dinner like when they when they sing Why Don't You Pull the Plug just in, just it was such an emotional moment really read about that in the latest time uh, well Lena asks what makes an artist worthy of your icon award she's talking about the golden gods obviously our annual ceremony of all things not heavy. the podcast icon award <laughs> we should do um, full names we choose an icon we should do what sorry full names full names Lena Khatib very good Jonathan um, yeah so icon awards every year we pick somebody who we think has made a massive impact on the metal world and has sort of almost transcended it a little bit I guess as well um, yeah how do you define an icon I guess 
timeless quality, mm. I suppose. Because you're not going to be an icon on your debut album, unfortunately. No. Uh, but you need you need staying power. I think that's the key that most metal bands don't have, unfortunately. I think a lot of bands that you know are even on their third album now probably won't be here in ten years' time. You know, it's just the way it's it goes. It's a hard world, isn't it? It's hard yeah. industry. Uh, yeah, yeah, and some of the bands I really like, and I think there are bands that I love that have only had one album, and I go, that's an amazing album, but you can't consider that band iconic. And I think the people we've given it to in the past have generally been people, actually individuals rather than, you know... Well, people can be more iconic than, like, a band. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's... Like, like, that person would have you know, as big an impact in any band I think is what you're trying to say if you're an icon so if you started them into any situation they'd be like the, the driving artistic force in there yeah, somebody who, who is well respected by their peers as well because yeah, they've been around for a long time can, they're very well known as long as you're not a dick well, <laughs> and th- has made an impact on music I mean I, icon is a, sounds, is a visual thing so it's like it's like you know you have to represent something. So you, you can't be an icon unless there's something you actually represent. And so you know, but that's the thing about great frontman is that they embody lots of different elements. And you know they you know and that they, they represent a particular outlook or you know a particular era or, or or some kind of viewpoint or some kind of way of being. You know, um, and but that's what all great rock men should should aspire to be is being kind of iconic in the sense that like you know they um you know you know physically they just embody lots of different forces in how they perform and you know how you kind of um the charisma that you've got yeah i think even like though you, just, you just say something very complex but in a very simple rock and roll kind, kind of kind of way i think even some bands who are maybe in the underground prefer to say oh i want to live in the shadows i don't want the spotlight on me i think in some respect everyone who's in a band has got that rock star complex of look at me yeah that's why you get on stage and play mm. music and go and here's all my emotions on the line you know just like look at me listen to what i have to say i think icons probably take that to another level and make everything not just about them in like a selfish way but it is very much like you say a very visual thing and it's because you know an icon is could be the most amazing you know songwriter in the world but and you'd be an amazing musician for that, but you wouldn't be an icon unless you're, you really put yourself out there in some respect and want the spotlight on you. I guess yeah. you're talking about a personality at that point. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be they're putting all of their personality into every single song and that is all of them. They could be yeah. writing about like anything, but it's having a personality where you know what that person is or what they stand for yeah. or yeah. who they are. Or If they're boring yeah. to talk to, then you're not an icon. No, no, no. Unfortunately. If you say Iggy Pop, you'll immediately get a split second image of what he's like on stage. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think, you know, Garl, I think, is iconic in the same way. When he does the go or then just stares at people with all the courts. Just says Satan a lot. So, we should probably yeah. actually say who's won the Icon Award in the past here. Who can remember... Who won this year? Damn research. <laughs> was it Maynard? Yeah, Maynard was our icon. It was Maynard this year, right? So, yeah, but Maynard's very good at embodying lots of different things. He and, is. and but also, you know, he he um he changes the appearance quite, you know, he's got lots of different guises. Uh, but um the he always looks kinda of great in in a still in every picture. You know, like there's there's some artists that whatever time if you're photographing them, any time you shoot them, their body will be configured in such a way that it will make a great image. Mm. And that's what, you know, that's what makes great rock and roll frontmen. I think you also draws on all these 
influences throughout his life to create this personality. You know, he had some mm. time in the army. He uh, was did some theatre classes at one point because he was really influenced by theatre. He really idolised stand-up people like Bill Hicks. Um, mm. he, he worked in a pet shop at some point. You know, and in his book he kind of talks about the way all these different life experiences shaped him and who he is today and actually um, what was driving him to create this art and all these things different feeding into it. So I think he's just a really interesting person and once you start digging through the lyrics they all kind of culled from different life experiences yeah. like his mum's illness for example and um, various arts and the third eye and Nietzsche and it's just like all these different things somehow make up a cohesive personality yeah. where if you say Maynard everyone knows who you're talking about and exactly what he's done yeah. well, I think a good test for an icon if you just had a silhouette and you could, say, you could just say it's just a black, yeah. black image you could say yeah. that, I know that's that person uh, then that's a good sign that you're, you, you're on the way to becoming iconic so we didn't actually have I just had a quick giggle we didn't have an icon last year with icons which was Dillinger what was Maynard then? Well, no, 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 this year was Maynard this last, year, last year was Dillinger Escape Plan he won icons and the year before was Nikki Six. so it's all three different entities but all of which yeah, are iconic but in some can way can you um, pick out apart from Greg Pucciato or the, any of the other members of Dillinger? Ben Wyman come on <laughs> yeah, ben, yeah Wyman. ben is like yeah. the second in command it was his you know, drive to do all the DIY stuff and you can't, yeah, in that band you can't really have Greg without having Ben, mm. that was definitely a thing. And Ben, like the way he moved on stage as well, he was responsible for a lot of that kinetic energy. Mm. And they were so, an iconic band. Yeah. Yeah. Deal with it, Jonathan. I love the Indra's Gate Plan. I remember going to New York and just finding out Bridge Voice was finding they were playing their first gig with Greg Picciato 10 blocks up from my hotel amazing like, fuck ran up 10 blocks got it just so they came off oh, oh no well we saw them at one of their final shows at the Old Blue Last which was manic yeah. you know as well I can't no, remember no. Yeah. there's just a lot of climbing on each other a lot of climbing Everyone. a lot of sweat a lot yeah. of oh, throat so much beer. sweat oh it's gross it's great <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess Nikki Six. uh Notoriety, his heart yeah. stuff. But you just look at him and he totally represents that whole kind of yeah, yeah, you're a rock era. Star. Yeah. West Coast era, yeah, yeah, completely. You know, he looks apart. Yeah, and again, speaking to any of those people, you're not going to get any boring answers to questions. They're all people who will actually sit down and consider what they're going to say or have an anecdote that's really yeah. insane. Or, you know, they've all changed music. Yeah, but I think iconic is, has this very specific meaning. And it's a visual meaning, like, you know, um, what, you know, it's like being a symbol for something. You know, so it's not just how you, how you are in your being, it's how you are visually. What you stand for mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Cool, we've decided it. That's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's what makes an artist worthy of our icon award. Um, Cole Gable asks, who is the most metal video game character of all time? Well, Lemmy was in Brutal Legend. The most metal video game ever. Yeah, I spoke to um, Tim Schafer, the creator, for our Lemmy tribute issue. And um, it was really interesting. He was just kind of gushing about it, really, because he's a big metal fan and about how Mm. Lemmy came to the office and he had his Jack and Coke and he had his cigarette and just kind of came in and he did, um, you know, he did some work for the game. I think his character was called the Killmaster. Yeah. (laughs) 
And yeah. then obviously Jack Black was the roadie in it. Can you remember the roadie's name? I cannot, no. So I think I've not played it for many, many years. Because it's over a decade old now. Yeah. I think, I think we should ban actual people in video games. Because well, you can say if, if Lemmy was in a video game, well, of course he's the most metal character. Exactly. Yeah, the argument just stops there. That, well, that's my point. That's, well, at the same time, this Legacy of the Beast, they've got about a billion different Eddies in yeah, it. That's yeah. pretty metal. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I was kind of going to go with Manic Miner myself. Manic <laughs> <laughs> Man. An old school. Yeah, you know, he just goes into the underworld, digs around. Uh, Big Daddy's from... Um, uh, oh, yeah, from, Bioshock. From Bioshock. Bioshock, Bioshock yeah. yeah. So all I could Big think, lumbering creatures with um, massive drills for arms. That's pretty metal. Yeah. So all I could think of was the like the old fighting games, like like Street Fighter. I think Blanca was pretty metal. Just a let you people. You've mentioned him before. It's a particular favourite. It is a pretty favourite. Yeah, yeah, hold down and smash that C button, you'll win the game. It's fine. <laughs> and then and then Tekken Three, which is a game I rinsed when I was younger. I think like what's his name. Like true ogre, the evolution of ogre, most metal thing ever. Just flies and frees fire and does everything. And Jack Two, I think he was called Jack Two, maybe New Jack. I think it was Jack Two. He's part, he's basically half robot, so that's quite metal. And Trevor from GTA Five. If you play GTA Five, he's just the mental one who just like lives in like the backwater bit in like a caravan and just is mental and shoots people. It's great. I, 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 I play a lot of games. But I, now, and now I'm curious. Well, Trevor's like, yeah, <laughs> Trevor's the best bit of that. I remember also right. playing um, Alice McGee, uh, is it? Um, oh, I know what you American mean. McGee's Alice. Yeah. And all those kind of crazy warped characters. I think the uh, the uh, Cheshire Cat was pretty, was pretty metal. It's a Cheshire Cat metal? This yeah. one was. He's got like a weird smile. Yeah, I didn't give a, I just didn't give a fuck. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'd argue the smiling isn't metal. And the Jab <laughs> and, and, and the Jabberwocky. Is Actually Alice herself is pretty metal in, in American Magazine. She looks a little bit um, gothic and a little bit steampunk. Yeah, I, I remember the first thing I ever bought on eBay, I had a massive bidding war over like a limited edition blood splattered uh, blood splattered Alice. Yeah, it's cool. With um cool. with a with a little Cheshire cat. Um and yeah, I ended up with a bidding war for uh milliseconds, but it seems to stretch over Aeons. <laughs> <laughs> Like, no, I'll pay one p extra. Yeah, no. The trick is to like exponentially jump up your price at the last minute, uh, and so they'll just they'll just guess wrong how much you've you've upped your bid for. So and they got one last bid. So uh, you'll you'll get it at just above their last bid, rather than the thing you've actually bid for. I don't want to crop against you on eBay, Jonathan. No, <laughs> I was I was not leaving without the blood splatter Alice with the knife behind her back. Oh, oh, I know exactly the one that you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. I endorse anything that's a bit gothic. Yeah, so, yeah. So and, and, and splattered with blood. Yeah. yeah. The most metal video game character is Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad you asked that question. This one's quite a hard one. Matt Heeks asks: With Behemoth coming out with God equals dog food. That's the food um, that he's made, if you don't know, which is like vegan dog biscuits for dogs to eat, based on his single God Equals Dog. So, uh, with Behemoth coming out with God Equals Dog Food, what products would you like to see bands bring out? So we need to think of some good puns here, guys. Oh, I thought of two. Not even puns, really. I thought Gajira could release some bags for life. Because, oh, that's nice. Because, because they're all about saving the I planet. I think put some whales on them or something. Stick a whale on the side yeah. and you're done. And... I can't believe there are no Limp biscuits 
that you can buy. Like there's there's no you can't buy limp biscuit branded biscuits. Why why is that not a thing? Yeah, I don't Fred's know. missing out on opportunity there. They could have a board game, the biscuit game. Oh God, you're disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> I always wonder if that's what limp biscuit was a reference to. He's I think it is, yeah. No, he's talked yeah. about in interviews and I can't remember the answer, which is really unhelpful. But I think that's something like a tour joke or something. It could quite be. I'm going to go with the biscuit game. game yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the biscuit game is. I'm not explaining, <laughs> yeah. I'm not explaining <laughs> that on the podcast. <laughs> no. What, you never went to boys' school? <laughs> I think you've explained it to me before, but I can't remember it. Yeah. Yeah. I know you you remember it if you know. I know it's something depraved. Yeah. Oh no, yeah. I do remember it. Yeah. Yeah, we can't talk about that. <laughs> uh, it's really hard. Nights, nails, nails. That's a bit obvious, Duh. isn't it? What <laughs> just, a, just a toolbox. <laughs> what a wine uncork at your peril. I'd be good. It would stink of mm. blood. It would yeah. yeah, be, be blood. Can you ferment blood to an extent that it becomes wine? Um, is there anyone waiting for it? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty metal. There's been loads of wine, like Slayer wine. I had some of that. I had some Slayer wine. They were selling it at Bloodstock. It one, looked yeah. nice. It I've had, had the like one Graven wine. wine. It's, uh, it's not my favourite. Yeah, like Satyr's wine. Yeah. He, he does a... I was, a, I was at launch for both his first ever wine and his... Um, uh, champagne. Oh, nice. Which is not very sweet in a very black metal way. It, it doesn't, have, doesn't have that sweet note. Sweet note. So you're going like, to celebrate, you want to go... Mm. <laughs> it's all oh, shit. Yeah. It's really hard to think of puns. Slipknot when, um, could sell maggots to go fishing with. That'd be cool. I remember once, years and years ago, Papa Roach did promotional plastic cockroaches to go with love-hate tragedy. How do they come up with this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. What Which are you going to do with a promotional plastic cockroach? On the one hand, you're like, this is really cool. And on the other hand, you're like, no, I just have plastic cockroaches. I remember like, there was some hammerfall <laughs> promotional condoms and it said, unbent, unboat, unbroken, unbound. Nice. Oh, the, I wouldn't trust a promotional condom. It just seems like... I don't know. I wouldn't trust anyone. If I was a woman, I wouldn't trust anyone in a hammerfall gun with a hammerfall gun. <laughs> what else? Well, you wanted when we went to interview Maynard for a Perfect Circles record. Luke was desperate for me to ask Maynard to draw a perfect circle. Yeah. Which I didn't. But he didn't do it. I didn't ask him. I just think he would not have been in on it. He'd just stare at you and go, no. <laughs> exactly. I'm an icon. And just not do it for you. He has a good sense of humour, so I think he actually would do it. But I think it's sort of one of those things where you'd probably ask someone on the second meeting. <laughs> <laughs> You've never met me before, but please draw this for me. I don't know if there's any circle things that would be good. I've no idea. Placebo, fake pills. I'm surprised that hasn't been. How do you come up with this, Trevor? I know, right? I'm on fire right now. <laughs> I'm sort of, yeah, like the Expressivo album, you know, if it comes out with just like a little promotional pack of, you know, sugar pills or whatever, that'd be quite, you know, fun. Quite fun. Lamb of God, they could do a Behemothy style thing. Well, he's a, he's a great um, barbecue chef. He's one of the best barbecue chefs around. Mm. Is he really? Yeah. Barbecue sauce. Yeah. Oh, barbecue sauce. Yeah, Rand- Randy Blythe is, is a, an amazing barbecue chef. That's cool. I think. I think. He, got, he gets involved with the Guabacue, I think, like the, the Guar's Barbecue Festival, and they've released their own barbecue sauce. Guabacue sauce. Bring obviously. Me the Horizon released barbecue sauce, and um, I'm sure there's another band that has barbecue sauce. Like a band that does coffee as well. Well, the, the, quite a few bands do. Oh, oh, coffee oh, and I, hot sauce. I remember at, at Buzzstop there was that uh, company, and they had like all these like really, actually really good metal puns. But I remember the best one was the Evil That Men Brew. That's oh. good. Uh, that that mug was sold out way too fast. 
That yeah, is really good. Yeah. I'm not getting into a pun war at the end of the podcast. Well, yeah, we, so we have already. Not Clutch not could do car parts. <laughs> That's so <laughs> shit. <laughs> Nightwish could be two fairies. I don't know. That's, Help me. that's, not, that's not even a thing. Save is me, it? Luke. No. I'll, I'll save you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> there you go. I'm really upset I didn't think of a good one, so I'm going to put that on ice until next yeah. week. Yeah, the thing is, like, now for us, my brain's getting, you're going to see my cog, brain's cogs doing in pun mode. Yeah. yeah. If you're listening and you can think of one, then Please send us in. Yeah, definitely tell us. I, I definitely Yeah, I'm actually going to edit something that I thought I was Here's why I came in much too late for the podcast. <laughs> Well, let's leave it there then. So go get the current issue. Read all about what we've been talking about. Read that stuff all about death metal. Um, there's a big death feature in there. Within Temptation on the cover, they've had a new single out, which we didn't actually talk about. It's uh, great though, isn't it? it yeah, we talked about the it briefly last week. They've just released a new video for the same song. It's the song The Reckoning, which yeah, yeah I think it's great to be fair. Like Merlin was right. It's he, really good. Yeah. It's really catchy. And now on the fact going on about why they've looked to the First World War for inspiration mm-hmm. and why it the so mirrors our current times yeah because everything's shit <laughs> hey right. no more negativity here not, not everything's shit Metal Hammer's great it Definitely. is go pick it up what else is going on next week you're going to see a band I am I've been to a gig for what feels like forever I'm off to see Scar Lord amazing uh, on Saturday I think at Brixton Electric I don't think we've talked about Scarlord on the show. Maybe we have. We've had him in the mag though, haven't we? Had him in the mag, yeah. I interviewed him for the magazine uh, a month or two ago. And yeah, he's like this 20-year-old guy who makes what's been you know, quoted as trap metal. So I guess it's you know, sort of really heavy, industrial, like metallic beats with him screaming over the top of it. Like really high-pitched, sort of abrasive screaming. Uh, but then there's also a lot of hip-hop uh, percussion involved. And yeah, it's really interesting and quite cool. And I've heard it's going to be well aggro Dom Lawson actually went to go see him last night in, ah, in Brighton what did he say uh, I don't know I just saw it on his Instagram to be fair so. it was with his, his kid yeah it was with his kid <laughs> so that says I'm probably more about me well Scarlett <laughs> was a YouTuber as well of course he was yeah I can't what his YouTube uh, pseudonym was it wasn't but it wasn't Scarlett but he's basically turned his back on it now yeah he's just got gone cool. he's gone nah fuck that I'm, yeah. I'm gonna you know, wear a mask and make really aggressive music. Yeah. So yeah, that'd be good. I think it's cool. It's a bit industrial. Yeah, I, I quite, like, I quite like it. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna scream at me and like he, he's gonna put on a big show from what I understand. And why not? I've not been doing it for ages. I need to get excited. Come, come on, on Luke. I know. Well, come back next week. Hear all about that. Go by the issue. Go on the Metal Hammer Readers Group on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes and Acast. Leave us a review, etc. All Do those all things. things. Do all of those Do things. Do all the things. And if you want to see something really amazing and weird, go and see Heteratsum at the back on Thursday, on Friday, because uh, they're all blowing your mind. This that, week, Friday. Yeah. Is that where you'll be, Jonathan? Yes. Yeah. yeah. They're, like, they're, like, they're like this Chilean band. They're just like some weird. First time I saw them, they were like, it was the weirdest looking back metal band I've ever seen, like some weird undersea mer priest sect thing. Mm. And I was just like, hmm? Like, even I was just like, I don't know how to gauge this. How does that process this? Yeah, so, uh, first of all, it sounded like really primitive. They sound really primitive. Um, it was just like, you, you always go with these primitive bands and go like, is this shit? And there's like this one bit of DNA, the basic spine going, no, it's fucking amazing. And then it's just like, yeah, you're right, it is. And, um, <laughs> What's that band called? Heteroexin. So they're Chilean, uh, but um, they've moved to Sweden and they've gone a bit more expansive now. Um, and they're still amazing. And they just do weird things. Like Heteroexin. Heteroexin, yeah. Heteroexin. And there's a really good band called Sectorism, also kind of very ritualistic thing. 
And so, yeah, go see Mark Close in person. You're going to be in time. your elements. Yeah, go to that oh. gig and talk to Jonathan about death metal. Yeah, <laughs> at, a, at a black metal gig. At a black metal gig. Yeah. But never mind. Yeah, that's fine. Right, cool. Cool. See you next week. Leave us a review. Go on, please. <laughs> bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. bye. bye.